I've got that, yes. Okay, well, I'm going to start off, I suppose, um, at least if you're sitting in Britain, um, with the obvious, and that is that we've had uh, wall-to-wall monarchy, not only over the last few days, but, uh, you know, as a staunch Republican, I'm having to sort of rush to the uh, off button on my radio um, far, far too uh, frequently. Um, but yes, we've had um, um, yesterday, you know, some sort of concert going on down in the palace and um, we've had church services and street parties and it just depends where you live actually um uh, different streets and uh, different people different towns it's very uh, varied so i understand from uh, liverpool that there's very little trace of it other than wh uh, smiths and i have to say in in my area um there's hardly a trace of um of uh, you know royal bunting and all the rest of it um Nonetheless, um, it would be foolish indeed to dismiss uh, the popularity um, of uh, the monarchy uh, in Britain uh, and its hold um, in terms of the uh, popular um, imagination. Um, I can sort of, well, it, I was conscious and political and uh, I sort of remember uh, 1977 and the Silver Jubilee. I don't remember the golden one. Um, so I don't know why that was, but I can certainly remember it in part because the street I was living in had a uh, street party, um, but also because there was some sort of Republican um, activity. It has to be said that in 2022, um, there is no Republican activity that at least that I can detect. I might be wrong. And certainly we, you know, we haven't organised um, um, anything. I was looking at the Socialist Workers' Party uh, internal um, bulletin called Party, Party Notes. And they were saying uh, in that, well, you know, as Republicans, why don't we just go with our um, friends and um, comrades to the park and have a picnic? Well, that ain't exactly, I mean, you might want to put up a red flag over your picnic, but I mean, no one's going to notice. It was no uh, protest um, against the um, um, dominant narrative. Um, so I, 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 would, I, I would really like to make the argument um, and I think I have to make the argument that there are those on the left, and I think they're profoundly wrong, that somehow think that over time, uh, with you know younger generations coming, with older generations dying off, that somehow um, progress, big P progress, will see the end of the monarchy uh, in Britain and, and, a, and a declining popularity. Um, um, of uh, the monarchy in Britain. I, I think that's delusional. Um, it's no doubt true that if you um, talk to younger people, they will tend on average to either be indifferent or hostile. Uh, nonetheless, um, the thing about young people is they do have a horrible habit of getting older and they are drawn in uh, to society and the, the tendency at the moment, and again, I'm not saying this is a law, but the tendency is that uh, they get drawn into the dominant um, ethos. So the idea that some have, uh, and it's quite widespread on the left, uh, that once uh, Elizabeth uh, Windsor does the inevitable, and that is dies um, after the um, funeral and with the coronation of, I don't know what he'll call himself, you know, Charles III will do as a working uh, title, um, that somehow uh, Charlie Boy will be far less popular uh, and indeed he will be unpopular and at last comes uh, our chance. Uh, again, I, I think that this is delusional. I mean, for the life of me, when I look at uh, Elizabeth Windsor, 
I don't, I mean, maybe I'm completely wrong. I don't know the woman. So, you know, it's, it's an outsider's view. But my general impression is she's pretty sour faced. Uh, occasionally, you know, a cameraman catches her smiling. Uh, but frankly, I, I wouldn't want to spend much time in her company. Uh, you know, her main concern seemed to be, uh, you know, grandchildren, which is, I suppose, endearing. Uh, but other than that, racehorses and corgis. And, um, you know, I, I don't think I'd have a long and meaningful uh, conversation uh, uh, with her. But that aside, uh, the point is that, you know, it's not her public appearances, you know, in her, her powerful um, speechifying that endears her uh, to the population. It, it, it's those, you know, how should we put it? It's the establishment that surrounds her uh, that worships her, uh, it's the press, it's the TV, it's the media. Uh, that is what uh, uh, does it. And yes, it's quite right uh, to say that in Britain, what we've got is a cult of monarchy. Now, my reading on this um, isn't particularly um, extensive, but there's a quite a good volume, I think, edited some time ago by Eric Hobsbawm, which contains, again, I can't, I should have looked it all up, but contains a, a good essay uh, in terms of uh, the invention of the modern monarchy. And um, that is located in Victorian times. Uh, that if you go back before Victorian times, an awful lot of what we take now for granted in terms of the pomp, the ceremony, uh, you know, the, the cult of uh, um, the monarchy just wasn't there. Um, in other words, you know, that this isn't something that goes back to 1066 or, you know, Georgian times even. Um, it, it's actually, um, in a genuine sense, a modern um, phenomenon. OK, um, I think that it, it's, it's worthwhile um, just looking at what uh, other comrades on the left say, and I'm not going to do a you know, a complete survey. I'm just going to pick out two uh, papers because I think that they have something to say, both positive and negative, and that Socialist Worker, the paper of uh, the SWP, and the Socialist, uh, the paper of the um, Socialist Party in England and Wales. Well, let's just begin with uh, Socialist Worker. Um, its main um, slogan in party notes is stuff the Jubilee. This is something that they have inherited from 19, oh, was it 77 or was it stuff the marriage of Diane Chaz? I can't remember. Either way, it's standard SWP fair. Stuff is a word that they uh, love using. And what they say is... Uh, Socialists oppose the monarchy and uh, in Socialist Worker itself, it talks about platinum parasites. Well, you know, uh, I go along with the sentiments um, uh, of the comrades in the SWP, except we shouldn't allow them to forget that uh, when they were le leading an organisation called Respect, uh, along with George Galloway, along with, um, what do they call themselves in those days? Um, socialist resistance, Alan Thornet and the like. These comrades actually voted down a commitment to republicanism. We actually moved um, along with a lot of other amendments, um, you know, in terms of the political platform of respect to replace um, the initials of respect, which stood for respect, equality or environment and the socialism in there and somewhere and whatever. We actually propose that the word respect in the word respect was changed to republicanism. And they didn't just turn it down on, no, 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 we, we like the word respect. I don't know what so significant about the word respect was. Uh, either way, what was revealing is their own chosen speakers got up uh, and actually explained um, to the um, um, conference of uh, respect, uh, which was a get together of um, um, the SWP type left, 
but also uh, Muslim activists, including the Muslim Association of Britain, which is a branch of the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt. But their spe speakers got up and said, well, look, the problem is, comrades, with standing for republicanism is that it puts off royalists. And I sort of scratch my head and go, well, yes, in the same way, I suppose if you stand for socialism, it puts off people who are not socialists or anti-socialist. This, this, is, this is absolutely true. So the idea uh, that socialists stand for the abolition of the monarchy was true. So what's that make the SWP when it was leading? Uh, this is under John Rees, but they all voted for it and none of them rebelled uh, over it. What's that make uh, the SWP? Well, I will use a word. It's an O, an o word. I will simply use the word opportunism. In other words, when they had a chance of standing candidates uh, that might highlight uh, this idea that socialists stand for the abolition of the monarchy, they not only balked at it, but argued against it in the perhaps the most opportunist fashion uh, you can imagine. Uh, also looking at uh, socialist worker, uh, what we have here is a story of, well, the monarchy is uh, very expensive, which is true. On the other hand, I would also suggest that if you look at the vast crowds that have gathered uh, outside uh, Buckingham Palace uh, over the last few days, amongst them will be a large number of tourists bringing over lots of tourist money uh, to the British economy. Now, I don't know on balance whether the monarchy is a a money loser or a money gainer. My guess would be, my guess uh, would be definitely on the side of it's a money winner for the British economy. But as Rosa Luxemburg explained long, long, long ago, uh, you know, we stand against the monarchy, not on the basis of cost or for that matter in a British context, how many tourist pounds uh, it generates. We stand against the monarchy, first of all, as a matter of principle, but we also stand against the monarchy on the basis of democracy. And we're not just talking about the fact that what you get after the death of um, Elizabeth II is most certainly, unless he has a car accident, is Charlie Boy, uh, i.e., you know, the eldest male. Uh, in line and a, a part of a line that purportedly goes back uninterrupted, well, ishish, uh, to William uh, the Conqueror uh, in 1066, but uh, which is and, and some which is isn't explained in Socialist Worker. But the fact of the matter is that if we actually take the monarchy uh, in Britain, it remains something with reserve powers. As I've explained and we've explained time and time again, the idea uh, that Jeremy Corbyn was going to lead a Labour government, government, I emphasise, either in 2017 in that general election or in 2019 was delusory. Why? Because it's the monarch uh, that decides on the, on the advice, it's true, of the Privy Council who to call to the palace. And uh, they called to the palace, first of all, um, those um, or the individual that they've been advised will command a vote of confidence, which rules out Jeremy Corbyn. But imagine if Jeremy Corbyn had actually, you know, been in a position where the majority of the parliamentary Labour Party actually supported him as prime minister. We still have a situation, again, something we warned about, uh, where the, you know, the um, the army is sworn to loyalty to the monarch, uh, to the royal family. That's who they swear loyalty to. Uh, and what we have is a system where precisely, um, you know, you can have a situation where to all intents and purposes, there's a legal coup uh, through, through the monarchy. Um, that, uh, yeah, this is uh, a parliamentary uh, democracy, but it's a parliamentary democracy based on the crown in parliament. And that needs to be uh, understood. Fortunately, I have to say, although they don't emphasize it, that is something that does feature 
um, in the Socialist, the paper of SPEW, the Socialist Party in England and Wales. But again, just to illustrate my earlier comment, what we have um, in Socialist Worker is the idea uh, that the monarchy is, um, what do they call it in Socialist Worker? Let me just look it up. Um, here we are. Uh, Oh, here we here it is. Um, this is the quote from Socialist Worker that we have been inundated with royalist propaganda is not a sign of the strength of the monarchy, but its weakness. Uh, it's an ailing industry, um, argues um, Simon Bashkir in the Socialist Worker. There will be a crisis when she dies. Um, I'm completely unconvinced um, uh, by that. Uh, and indeed, it, it is worth noting um, that um, while Jeremy Corbyn was a, how should you put it, platonic um, Republican, so reportedly when it came to various national ceremonies, the press concentrated on his face and was uh, telling us that he didn't really sing the, the words to the royal anthem that he maybe just lipped them or something like that. I, I don't know, and I, I, I don't care what was significant about Jeremy Corbyn as he was there and wearing his poppy and participating uh, in this ceremony. So I don't really care whether he knows the words of the royal anthem or doesn't, or whether he mimed the words of the royal anthem or just mumbled along. I don't care. The point is, if we look at the last Labour manifesto, it was not a Republican manifesto. It was a royalist manifesto that said, we'll look into this question, which is equivalent of the Labour prime minister in Australia today, who's appointed a, a minister for the Republic. And uh, as uh, you know, I was listening to some interview with some top um, Australian um, Labour Party uh, bod over the last few days. And as he explained, as I, as I expected, uh, he explained, well, this is just a sop. This is just, it's a junior, 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 irrelevant minister. And this is to keep uh, the Republican left in Australia, which is real, happy. And uh, I suspect it will sufficiently. Uh, clearly, uh, the present Labour government is not going to rock the boat. Um, and go for a divisive campaign, um, you know, around the question of the Republic. And all we need to do is look at Britain and who's replaced the platonic um, Republican Jeremy Corbyn. And we've got Keir Starmer. Well, what a surprise. Um, we've had a series of uh, fawning statements from the Labour Party uh, front bench over the last week or so, and especially over the last few days emphasizing uh, that the Labour Party is a patriotic and royalist uh, party that defends good old British institutions such as Channel 4 and the BBC. And uh, Sir Keir himself wrote a, uh, uh, an article in the Daily Telegraph, the main so-called serious Tory uh, paper in, in Britain, saying that it was uh, people's duty uh, to support the celebrations, the platinum um, jubilee of uh, Her Majesty. And indeed, uh, when, we, when we had, <laughs> sort of have to laugh, when we had a few people in the crowd outside um, St. Paul's, um, a magnificent um, cathedral designed by uh, Wren, um, as the royals were going in and people were going, hurrah, 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 when uh, Johnson and uh, his wife, Carrie Johnson, went up the steps into um, St. Paul's, some people in the crowd were booing. And this again made headlines in the press and uh, basically allowed the Labour Party uh, to come out and say, well, you know, Boris Johnson, he's so deeply um, uh, unpopular. Um, I have to say that... Um, this is another example of the delusions um, of uh, the left. It's true, of course, that Johnson is unpopular at the moment with sections of the population, I would suggest, including with 
Labour voters, maybe a few Liberal Democrats don't like him, Greens won't like him. But the question is, is Johnson about to go? And if you read the left press, basically you get the impression that with uh, the demonstration later this month on the 18th, when the TUC is calling out its, um, how should you put it, uh, its various affiliates, and uh, if we have a few more strikes, uh, then Johnson's government comes down and again, as we pointed out to the left last time we had a change of prime minister, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not even urging stability or anything, but be careful what you wish for. Because the last change of prime minister we had was before the last election when we had a crisis, um, I should put it, Riven um, administration of Theresa May, who lost, you know, one vote in parliament after another. Uh, in the most humiliating fashion. Indeed, she went down to the biggest parliamentary defeat in British history uh, over the question of the EU, and yet hung on, hung on, and hang, hung on. And what you had outside Parliament is uh, various demonstrations of uh, which included leftists, because it all involved the EU, saying Theresa May must go. And we were just making the point, well, OK, Theresa May must go, but who are you going to get? And amongst the three candidates that I named, which were bloody obvious, of course, was one Boris Johnson. And what Boris Johnson proceeded to do was purge uh, the Parliamentary Conservative Party in a way that uh, Jeremy Corbyn never had the courage to do and ran through, much against my expectations, a hard version of Brexit and won a general election, which ate into um, Labour uh, territory to the extent that uh, instead of where Theresa May had a minority government, you had an 80 strong Tory majority. Well, comrades on the left, that's what you sort of wish, wished for. Um, you know, what matters actually isn't replacing one prime minister with another. What matters isn't waiting for the death of uh, Elizabeth II before you actually find principles and strength. Uh, no, what matters is the strength of the left itself. And the strength of the left is based on its principles and its program, its clarity uh, of thought and its ability to map out a viable strategy of how we get out of the ship that we are in. That's what the left needs to do. And that's what the left consistently fails uh, to do. Okay. I think it's just worthwhile um, in the context of talking, you know, about Johnson and Keir Starmer, just to mention a conference that's coming up later this month. I think it's on the 30th, and this is, let me get it right, uh, the Future of Britain Conference, which is organised by, amongst other uh, bodies, the Tony Blair Institute. And uh, this involves a, a quite a wide uh, variety of uh, different um, individuals. Um, it uh, not only includes uh, Tony Blair himself, um, but various people who were kicked out of the Tory party or walked out of the Tory party, um, you know, over Boris Johnson and the hard Brexit, but also people who um, walked out of uh, the Labour Party. So Luciana Berger, Berger uh, from up in uh, Liverpool, one of these people who walked out against Jeremy Corbyn, accusing her constitu constituent Labour Party of uh, anti-Semitism, uh, you know the drill, but also um, um, individuals, you know, um, along the lines of David Miliband, uh, the brother of the former uh, Labour leader, former foreign uh, secretary, and uh, money guru Martin Lewis, um, American comrades will know of uh, Larry Summers, we also have Ruth Davidson, the former leader of the Tory party in Scotland. There's a whole list of people. And what, of course, marks them out is that these people are, to quote unquote, of the centre. And this has caused much um, uh, ink, uh, much journalistic ink to be spilt 
uh, along the lines of uh, Blair is just about to launch a third party. Well, Britain's had a long history of third parties, um, all of which predictably uh, end in utter uh, failure. You know, um, in 2019, I don't know how many third parties we had uh, running, but uh, I think good two. Uh, the most famous in my lifetime, I think, was the um, Social Democratic uh, Party and um, the Liberal Alliance that ended up as the um, uh, Liberal uh, Democrats. At one point, from my memory, it was actually running in the lead uh, in the opinion polls and was, uh, you know, lauded uh, uh, by the press. And you know, you, you had the impression that it was just about to romp home. Um, against the Tories and against uh, the Labour Party, but instead, um, in spite of, you know, marginal uh, successes, it, it came to nothing. Why does it come to nothing? Basically, because we have a two-party system, and at the moment, um, the Labour Party um, re remains the second party and will remain the second party in one form or another, you know, while you have uh, that link. But, but, but... That link with the trade unions has been under constant question, certainly to my knowledge, since the 1950s. Um, you know, you've had voices raised that the working class is finished, it's marginal, it's a declining section of the population, the trade unions hold us back, blah, blah, blah. So at least in my opinion, the significance of this uh, Tony Blair initiative uh, I very much suspect is not an attempt to launch a um, third party, but quite the opposite, uh, an attempt to intervene and strengthen uh, the hand of Sir Keir Starmer, who he's openly praised, he's doing the right thing, and we need to encourage him. Uh, that's been Tony Blair's message. And my suspicion is that what we will see uh, is the coming on board of left-wing Tories and people from the centre uh, to back Sir Keir. Now, will they demand their pound of flesh, uh, i.e. the breaking of the trade union link to do that? I, I don't know, but that was Tony Blair's quote-unquote project um, that he was running with New Labour, with uh, uh, Mandelson and uh, Gordon Brown, uh, this is what their project was. And the idea was that they would go into coalition uh, with the Liberals. Instead of that, he found himself against his expectations of winning such a huge majority uh, against John Major's Tories that he couldn't do what he wanted to do, and that is um, have a coalition government uh, with the Liberals. Um, anyway, that's just me speculating. Um, but I, I, I think it's a worthwhile uh, speculation to have. And so what I would uh, finish with in terms of this section is just two observations. First of all, I don't think that Boris Johnson is finished. It's quite possible that the um, no confidence letters go into the 1922 committee. Certainly, um, as you know, we all expect the Tories to lose two um, up and coming by-elections, one in the north, uh, and one over in the um, to the west uh, in the West Country, uh, the Tories are expected to lose both. Who knows? But the point I would make um, with the uh, uh, Tory Party, even with an eighty majority, is that the Prime Minister has enormous power, uh, not only over ministers but also people who want to become ministers, junior ministers, ministerial advisors. You name it. Prime Minister has enormous powers. And what I would expect is if there's a vote of confidence in him, he will survive it. Um, anyway, I'm not going to go into uh, they don't have any alternative candidates, blah, blah, blah. My expectation is that Boris Johnson will survive. Uh, what will happen at the next general election? I don't know. And um, precisely on the basis of my previous argument, I'm arguing against those on the left that on the basis of statistics, because the Labour Party did so badly in 2019 in terms of seats, it's impossible for Sakir to win. 
and Sir Keir's done such a useless job in Parliament. And Sir Keir, you know, he's, he doesn't want to win uh, the next general election. All he wants to do is defeat the left. And all you need to do, comrades, is look at the Labour left. And you say, well, anyone who wants to defeat that, you don't need to defeat them. They've defeated themselves. This is a Labour left that doesn't mention the name Jeremy Corbyn. This is a Labour left uh, that cannot, cannot sign up and keep its name attached to a, a social pacifist petition put out by Stop the War Coalition. All Sakir had to do is say, well, you cannot criticise NATO, and they withdrew their signatures. Who needs to defeat such a load of spineless, excuse my Anglo-Saxon, bastards? They've def they're, they're defeated. They are useless. So no, of course, Sir Keir, you know, isn't out to defeat the left. He's defeated uh, the left. But is he out to win the next general election? Of course he is. Of course he is. And that's why he's got the backing of Tony Blair. And that's why he could have the backing uh, of these former Tory uh, um, MPs. Uh, why? Because they want to become candidates. You know, they don't think that their parliamentary careers are over. They've still got ambitions to become ministers. And Sakir can offer that. And as I said, maybe part of the bargain uh, will be a constitutional change in the Labour Party where the trade union vote is further degraded. I don't know. Uh, that's impossible to say. That hasn't been declared. This is all me speculating. Nevertheless, that has been something, as I said, that's been dear to Tony Blair's heart going back uh, to the 1970s. And you can find precursors uh, of Tony Blair. So my basic thesis is with the monarchy, it will last. Uh, it will last the death of <laughs> QE2. Um, Johnson isn't toast yet. He will be at some point. That's obvious. But Sakir. Uh, could win. That's not saying much, but, uh, you know, for some on the left, that's been controversial because they've insisted he can't win the next general election. He can win the next general election, comrades. Uh, so they, they're my two um, stunning, <laughs> stunning theses uh, uh, for the day. OK, let's move on. Ukraine, not going to comment in detail on Ukraine. Um, Basically, uh, what's happening in Ukraine is that the Russian armed forces are, um, well, I was about to say inching forward. That's not really an accurate description. They're going forward, and the, a better description is a mile here and a mile there, a village here and a village there. There hasn't been any, how should I put it, uh, swift um, strategic uh, movement. It's been grinding. It's been costly. What hasn't been reported um, much, um, although it has come out, um, is the level of um, Ukrainian losses. Because what we're dealing with now is instead of, you know, a Russian armed thrust, which is what we saw uh, to the gates of Kiev, what we're seeing is heavy artillery and rocket bombardment followed up by tanks and followed up. Uh, by in by infantry who secure that ground, and um, you know if you're on the receiving end of um, artillery, while you might be deeply dug in, as I believe a lot of the Ukrainian armed forces are, you'll still be taking a pounding. And uh, Zelensky has talked about a um, hundred Ukrainian deaths a day, and what he's talking about isn't civilians; he's talking about military personnel. And I don't know whether that's true or not, but you would expect, if anything, that to be a conservative um, estimate. Either way, that amounts to something like 700 deaths a week, which, you know, in, in terms of World War Two, World War One, that's a nothing. Um, but nonetheless, that is going to be a draining loss uh, when it comes to uh, the Ukrainian armed forces. So you have Russia going forward slowly, slowly, slowly. That is something we should expect. Uh, what we're dealing with here now, as compared uh, with the attempt to take Kiev, is much shorter uh, supply lines. 
maybe not only shorter supply lines, maybe they've learned the lesson of the first phase of the war and improved their logistics. I don't know, but munitions seem to be getting through, food seems to be getting through, fuel seems to be getting through in adequate quantities. And again, we're not dealing with tanks driving forward and then needing to be uh, uh, filled up. So we're dealing with a, a much flatter uh, uh, battlefront. Nonetheless, it seems to be going Russia's way at the moment. Hence, what we have is a division in the so-called West. And the division is, I think, as I've argued in uh, the last uh, weekly work, a division between the, um, well, you could call it the Zelensky uh, UK-US axis, but in reality, of course, it's a US-UK axis. In reality, of course, it's the US. Um, so what you have there, I don't think is a strategy of, um, we're going to have a total defeat of Russia in Ukraine. Uh, I don't think um, that's what they're saying. Whether they think they can get that, that's a different question. But I don't think that's the strategy. But I think what the strategy is, is to get Russia bogged down in an unwinnable war, a war of stalemate, a war of attrition. Um, and that triggers discontent back home amongst the elite, amongst the, the masses of the population, some sort of palace coup, who knows, who knows, who knows. Either way, there's a clear division, isn't there, between the US and the UK uh, and Zelensky, who talk about no concessions to Russia when it comes to territory, and Macron and his most recent statement saying that we shouldn't humiliate Russia. Uh, you've also had Kissinger. I'm not taking Kissinger as an actor um, um, in the field. I'm merely taking him as a spokesperson for what is being called the realistic, uh, you know, wing of foreign policy. But a realistic wing of foreign policy that would embrace uh, not only France but also Germany and also Italy and. Um, how should we put it? Uh, those that are most uh, reliant um, on Russian gas and Russian um, uh, oil. Either way, what we've had is a further upping of the ante from the American side and the British uh, side. I don't know how in military terms you pronounce this, but I'm, I'm gonna do it in as a word, but um, Himars, um, what is a himar? Uh, from my memory, it's something like a um, hmm. There are missiles. They are individually targeted and um, they are guided. So um, I'm not quite sure what himars uh, stand for. Uh, either way, what they operate as, as I understand it, is you you launch six missiles at once, and I think that they can hit six separate targets. Either way, the targets would be located by satellite or drones, and that means you could hit easily, you know, a command post, uh, for example. And so these particular missiles that America is supplying, and I think Britain is supplying uh, similar uh, missiles, have a range of about 50 miles or so, as opposed to the longer range version of this missile, which is about 120 miles. And the uh, commitment that they've supposedly got from Ukraine is they won't use them on, you know, against Russian territory itself. So if Russian commanders are actually located in Russia and directing their forces in Ukraine, which is quite conceivable, uh, the deal would be you don't hit that command post if it's located in Russia itself which they might have been tempted uh, uh, to do. Either way, um, you know, you have to ask the question, will this tilt uh, the balance? I don't think so. Um, I just can't see how, you know, that would be such a decisive uh, change when you're dealing with the numbers uh, that um, you have on the Russian side. I have to readily confess uh, that the war hasn't gone according to my expectations, uh, I, I thought at the beginning of this war that Russia would be more successful. I thought they would have total air control, uh, for example, and they don't. 
Um, either way, um, my expectation is that uh, Russia will continue to advance. How much longer that can be sustained, I don't know. There'll be all sorts of other factors uh, involved. But what we do locate, which is important, is this split in the West. Uh, and that is some sort of commitment to a negotiated settlement, which one presumes would involve some sort of leasehold over, um, over the Crimea for Russia, some sort of negotiated uh, federal solution, maybe, uh, in Ukraine that recognizes the rights of uh, Russian uh, first uh, speakers, maybe some sort of um, neutrality status. I don't know. Um, at the end of the day, it will be decided on the battlefield and how the battlefield goes, who will be prepared to give and who will be asking uh, for more. And um, you know, when Liz Truss, our foreign secretary, talked about this being a 10 year war, um, I wouldn't dismiss that. You know, if something went on, for example, for another four or five years, that would not surprise me. Um, we could even end up with a situation of, you know, equivalent uh, to um, Korea, uh, of where you just have a frozen um, ceasefire uh, line. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't think it will be over, to use a phrase, uh, by Christmas. That's the point. OK. Also wanted to comment in the context of um, Ukraine on the um, statement that's being put out under the name of Zygniew Kowaleski. He's a, um, a member of the Fourth International. I'm talking about the uh, Mandelite. Uh, Fourth International, a former activist in um, Solidarnosc. He was a delegate from Lodz uh, and was in Paris at the time of the, yeah, what was his name? Anyway, the, the Declaration of Martial um, uh, Law um, in Poland, nine, uh, eight, 1982 from my memory. Um, anyway, He's putting out an international statement, and it's um, under the name of With the Resistance of the Ukrainian People for its Victory Against Aggression. And I actually have read uh, the whole statement, uh, and it basically equates what's going on in uh, Ukraine today uh, with, with Vietnam. Now, these people were, when they were younger, I don't know about um, Zygniew, uh, but um, lots of these people I remember, because that's when I came into politics, was the late 60s, would uh, go on uh, demonstrations to um, Grosvenor Square, which is where the American embassy was in London, and would be shouting along the lines of, Ho! Ho! Ho Chi Minh! Victory to Viet Cong! Etc, 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 where the Communist Party, which I joined, uh, well, I joined the Young Communist League. Uh, we were of the bring the troops home, no British troops, of course, and peace in Vietnam. And that's what we were told to do, not only by the official Communist Party, of course, uh, but by uh, the Communist Party in Vietnam itself. Either way, uh, the Vietnamese certainly welcomed people like Tariq Ali, who was one of the leaders of the Vietnam Solidarity Campaign, and who went on to join the Fourth International, which was then in Britain called the International Marxist Group. But a lot of these comrades, you know, come from that sort of um, uh, generation. Um, and I do think it's worthwhile, you know, just looking at them now. They've become State Department socialists. And the reason why I think uh, that um, Zygniew is particularly worthwhile mentioning is that um, in um, the 80s, a lot of these comrades um, were pro-Solidarnosc. And e they even went in Britain uh, and changed their banners, the banner of their paper, into a Solidarnosc type type, you know, like with um, like it being painted. So socialist action, from my memory, which was again part of the Fourth International, had that. But a whole load of them went in for Solidarnosc worshipping. Now, back then, then in those days, when I was raising, um, this is um, 
um, you know, um, how should you put it? Um, during this whole time, this is when um, we first started publishing the Leninist, uh, which um, was a faction of the old official Communist Party. We came out in uh, November 81. And I remember writing the editorial and I thought, you know, this is going to be historic documents. So I remember praising Bobby Sands, who'd uh, died and uh, well, he died, but he also was elected as an MP from prison. Bloody incredible. Um, but I also remember coming out against Khomeini, the butcher Khomeini, when a lot the all the official communist parties were going around talking about the Khomeini line, the imams line. And we called him the butcher. Um, either way, we also came out against Solidarnosc. And the argument that we came out uh, against Solidarnosc on was that there can be capitalist restoration. Now, my ideas have undergone something of a change. Nonetheless, we got together a collection of my articles from that entire period. And while I look at them now and go, oh, that's wrong, that's wrong, oh, God, that sort of type. But as I knew I would when we got them together, I still look back upon them with a certain pride because compared with the rest of the left, they are brilliant. I mean, sorry, but they are brilliant. Why? Because we said that, yeah, we call for a political revolution. We call for the overthrow of bastards, excuse my uh, Anglo-Saxon again, like Gorbachev, like Yaroselsky, uh, all these people, uh, they are pro-capitalist, uh, you know, these people don't believe um, in socialism. They believe in doing a deal with the, 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 the West. They want to become capitalists. So we said that there can be capitalist restoration. And we also said, quote, unquote, that while people in Eastern Europe and the Soviet Union believe that if you get rid of uh, what we called it, still do, bureaucratic socialism, they will get West German living standards and Swedish style social uh, benefits, we said, no, it will be much closer to Brazil or Turkey. Now, even I didn't predict, you know, what would actually happen, certainly in the former Soviet Union, crucially uh, in Russia, but let's not forget Ukraine, which was crashed down to Indian uh, living standards, not West German, <laughs> Indian levels. Of poverty. That's what you saw in Ukraine. Either way, we argued there could be capitalist restoration. And what we had from this left, uh, the um, Zygnew type left, the Fourth International left, but also the Spartacist League, the SWP, state capitalists, all the rest of them said, no, 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 history can't go backwards. And you can't quote, this is the Sparts, you can't put the baby back into the womb. And my reply was, well, you can't put the baby back into the womb, but you can certainly restore capitalism. Um, and the reason I raise this is because it's no crime to be wrong. You know, you test out your theory, there it is in reality. Now, my uh, theory that there could have been a political revolution, I think, has been disproved. Uh, I don't think the working class was in any position to carry out a political revolution. That might have been not the case in the 30s, I don't know. Uh, but by the 1980s, 1990s, no. And what worker action you saw uh, tended actually to be for the overthrow of the regime and some sort of a hope in, in the market, something along those lines. You certainly didn't see the working class acting uh, as a class for itself. And so we, we saw this theory of uh, the political revolution and why we back Soldanosk. We didn't, but why the left back Soldanosk? You saw what happened. And to my disappointment, we saw the restoration of capitalism. We saw the, the triumph of Ronald Reagan and Mrs. Thatcher. We saw neoliberalism. And we saw predictably the rolling back of the social democratic settlement uh, in the West, in America, in Europe, uh, we saw the attacks on the enemy within uh, in Britain in the, the miners' strike. All of this is related uh, to what was going on uh, in Eastern Europe as you went from a situation of containment uh, to, you know, under Carter and subsequent um, US administrations to rollback. 
either way, you would have thought these comrades would have learned the lesson. Um, but instead, they've actually learned the opposite uh, lesson. So they've gone from being naive in terms of their support for the State Department. After all, what was Solidarnosc? It was backed by John, John Paul II. It was backed by the CIA. It was backed by the, the right wing of RTUC. It was backed by Mrs. Thatcher. That's, what I, that's all I needed to know. You know, um, so when your enemy is praising, praising something, like at least look at it. But no, these people are pressing ahead uh, with this line. And it lines them up precisely uh, with Joe Biden, with uh, Zelensky, with Boris Johnson. It lines them up uh, with the enemy. And the, the illusion is, of course, uh, that somehow with the victory, um, which is what they want of Ukraine, this will somehow uh, be a, a blow for progress. Well, maybe, you know, the Putin regime collapses as a result of some uh, Ukrainian victory or a negotiated this or a stalemate. But the idea that this will deliver American living standards or Western European living standards simply isn't to understand the imperialist system. Uh, an imperialist system. I, I don't believe in the labor aristocracy theory, but nonetheless, I would still explain American living standards, British living standards, German living standards, French living standards, in respect to the theory of imperialism. And it's simply not the case that in Russia, Ukraine, or other such countries, th that's going to be uh, reproduced. It's going to be the opposite. If anything, uh, what you would see um, uh, with this war, if there's a Western uh, victory, uh, is a new round of barbarism, particularly in the East, but also here back home. Uh, that a victory for America isn't going to strengthen our hand, it's going to be the opposite. Now, that's not me wishing um, for a defeat of Putin. I'm wishing for the defeat of my own side, of Boris Johnson, of Biden. And it's the job, of course of um, Russian uh, progressives to overthrow uh, Putin. Not for me to urge the West to arm Zelensky uh, with missiles and tanks and MiG aircraft or um, F-35s or impose no-fly zones. That's not the job um, of the left. So basically what we have, I think, is the inevitable evolution of this camp that I've been talking about from uh, um, the 1980s that did back um, counter-revolution in Eastern Europe and the Soviet Union under the illusion that this would be a political revolution and could only but be a political revolution that would usher in socialist democracy. Having seen that and being disappointed by that, we actually have an evolution of this force simply uh, into being a pro-imperialist left. Uh, and I'm using the word left with very heavy um, inverted uh, commas. And I think I've more or less done my time. Um, so I'll, I think what I'll do is just with my last five minutes, I'll give myself an hour maximum with my last five minutes. And I think it is worthwhile mentioning it. Um, We've had a, a few reports in over the last uh, week or so of, uh, you know, climate and uh, the latest one that I was reading is from the main US um, um, agency um, in this respect. And their figures are chilling, no pun intended. Um, what they're saying is if we take this May, um, we have CO2 levels in the atmosphere that are now 50% higher than pre-industrial uh, levels. It's also when we come to the micro uh, measurement of these levels, um, what we have is a steady increase. So if we're talking about parts per million, I know it's quite hard to listen to this, so I'll say it slowly. Uh, what we have in 2020 is this agency recording 417 part, parts per million, 417. In 2021, it goes up to 419. This year, it's up to 420. 
In other words, you know, each year um, CO2 levels are increasing. Now, the point to understand, of course, uh, about all of this is this, this is happening in the context, remember, of COP26, a pandemic ban on all manner of uh, aircraft um, uh, journeys, working from home, all sorts of pious resolutions, blah, 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 blah. But also what we need to understand, of course, is that um, even if you had, um, how should you put it, a situation of where they leveled things off at 420 parts per million, in other words, there was no increase, you still have the distinct possibility of global warming and therefore a tip in uh, the climate regime. So in terms of what this particular agency is saying, in terms of CO2 uh, levels, it says that it, it, it's equal now uh, to what it was 4.1 million years ago, or 4.1 to 4.5 million years ago. This is in the um, Pliocene. Now, I haven't got uh, you know, my head exactly what the Pliocene uh, looked like. Suffice to say, London was underwater, Florida was underwater. I think there would have been forests um, on Antarctica. I don't know how much uh, continental drift has gone on in those four million years, a little bit, but nonetheless, you get the idea. And precisely, you know, if they even things off now, what you've still got built into the system is at least a hundred more years of uh, melting um, of the great ice sheets. So both in terms of the South uh, over Antarctica, uh, but also in the Arctic, a hundred years more built in uh, if they stop, you know, if, if they evened off uh, the increase. Well, my um, sad expectation is that the system is not gonna deliver um, any evening off. Uh, my expectation is the system will keep actually year by year adding uh, to those parts uh, per million. And the chances are uh, that while I almost certainly, <laughs> unless they get some sort of drug uh, that stops uh, people aging or some sort of weird, um, sort of <laughs> something along those lines, I will not see another platinum jubilee. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God for small mercies. So, yes, I'll be relieved, you know, rushing to my radio station. Shut them up. But I do fear uh, that I could live long enough precisely to see a tip in the world climate. And who knows? I've not read any studies and I don't know whether they can actually predict uh, the what would happen because I, I, I mean, I haven't read them. So if, if anyone has got uh, those predictions, scientific predictions, um, I'd be very interested to read that. All I would say is that I would expect that to happen in my lifetime. Uh, I think that is what is going to happen. Humanity, uh, if it can organize itself, and that means into a global political party of the working class and overthrow capitalism, it could still perhaps, perhaps, uh, stop this uh, climate tilt, perhaps, not uh, guaranteed, but perhaps. Uh, but looking at the state of the left, my fear is that I will see a shift in the climate regime. And of course, what that means is something short of um, a generalized nuclear exchange. Uh, that's true. Something short of some um, asteroid uh, and we are talking about an asteroid of the sort that killed off the dinosaurs that landed on what is now the Gulf of Mexico and, uh, um, you know, produce, I don't know how many years of, um, of uh, winter uh, that killed off most uh, big animals, at least land um, animals. No, it's not going to be like that. We're not talking about, uh, you know, extinction of um, all the great um, land animals we're not talking about human extinction, but what we are talking about is a new dark age. 
And I don't mean that in terms of, um, you know, um, clouds, uh, but some sort of dramatic reversal of civilization of the sort uh, that archaeologists can testify to in Britannia um, with the withdrawal of the Roman Empire, um, that what we saw is the loss of the ability to uh, produce, you know, tiles for roofs, uh, loss of ability to produce um, stone buildings, all manner of technologies uh, were lost. It was less severe in Western Europe, even though the Roman Empire collapsed. Britain apparently was the sort of sharp end of it. But I think that's the sort of thing that we see on a global uh, level with huge movements of people. Um, and yes, uh, with the collapse of regimes throughout the world, and my fear is not of fascism. I mean, why on earth would you need fascism uh, under those circumstances? But yet military regimes, uh, emergency regimes that go on and on and on. Anyway, a very dark and gloomy uh, conclusion. Sorry for that. Uh, I wish I could be, uh, you know, super optimistic. Um, all I can be optimistic about is precisely because of the, you know, because we we know what we face uh, is that um, masses of people can be convinced um, of what is necessary because just going out on a protest, you know, COP26, absolutely fine, splendid, fantastic. I urge people on, but we need to get organized and we need to recognize the urgency that's involved, you know, um, as, as I said, I would, if we don't do that, I would expect within my lifetime uh, to see a, a disaster uh, precisely of the sort that I've just described. Thank you, Anne, with those happy thoughts I hand over to you.